the Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Corey Matt. Corey was injured in Afghanistan in 2010 by an IED, subsequently became a double amputee. He now takes part in five different sports, of which he competes in two at elite level. His sports are para bobsleigh, sitting volleyball, cricket, golf, track, and he is currently ranked number two in the world in para bob. So, welcome onto the show, Corey. So before we delve into today's episode, Corey, can you talk us back, or talk us through, sorry, from your humble beginnings in obviously in Barbados to obviously to the heights of where you are now in Parabob? Um, yeah, um, I was basically I was born in Bristol, Barbados, uh, and grew up in the, east, the eastern part of the country, part called Saint John. Um, and as, as time, time went on, really, I, uh, I became involved in stuff like cadets and stuff like that. I first visited England in 1985, um, and I saw the Grenadier Guards changing, changing the guard at Buckingham Palace, and I became fascinated with that, with the foot guards and stuff. Um, and then when I was in secondary school, I kind of got um, into a fight the first day of school. And, uh, yeah, got into trouble, ended up in the principal's office. And she was like, yeah, you, well, you know, you can either get suspended on your first, on your second day of school, or you can go in cadets and stuff. And my mom was like, yeah, put him in cadets. So um, at that time, the cadet master, he said, you know, give him to me. I don't make him a man. I'll, I'll, I will, um, I will get him to where he needs to be. Um, and from there, I never looked back. Really, I uh, went through all the way through cadets to the rank of staff sergeant. Um, I left school um, and traded. I was uh, traded as a graphic artist um, and trained also in like also. Um, Offset lithography, which is basically printing, so you you can design it on the computer, do it for photo wise, put it on a plate, and then put it on a printing press and print it. So it can do the whole process on it. Um, but I kind of felt unfulfilled by that, and then I did. You know, my my dad was like, you know, like you, we also had a, a rich tradition of of policing in our in our in our family so um my dad was really really keen to push me in that direction um and i eventually went on to do that um just before that i became a reservist in, in the barbados defense force as well so that was a continuation of my military life um then i pretty much went on to 
to be a police officer. Um, went into special weapons and tactics, so I went to the SWAT team. Um, I did that for about three years. Um, during that time, I became a drug detection officer as well. So I, I was in the airport searching with a dog for, for narcotics and stuff, um, which was pretty cool. That was I enjoyed that the most, if I, if I do say so myself. Um, but as I said, a part of me felt unfulfilled by doing all those things. And I thought, you know, I want, I want to be a British soldier. I always want, I want, to, I want to go after this foot guard thing. So initially I came to England to, to join the Royal Marines in 2004. Um, when I did the selection and my dad died two weeks later. So I, I missed my entry day and everything and I just, and I never, it just didn't happen. Um, so when I came back, they said, uh, I don't know how much you know about Royal Marine selection, but when I came back, they said, you have to go through that again. You have to go through Royal Marine selection again. Like, no chance. So they said, well, you know, you could always go and join the army. So I said, all right, I'll see what they have to offer. So um, I came back home and then I went to the British Air Commission and they introduced me to this guy from the Household Cavalry. Um, and basically, that was the beginning of, of my story um, in the British Army. I ended up joining the lifeguards in the in the Household Cavalry, serving in in London for about two years or so um, on on duty on ceremonial duty as a Royal Horse Guard. And then I went to Windsor, where I continued my career in formation reconnaissance. So that's basically where you you go in a in a mini tank, um, what they call a CVRT or a scimitar, um, and you basically conduct um, combat recce patrols, that kind of stuff. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2009 with a C squadron and the Household Cavalry, and we had a, a very that tour was kinetic in, in a lot of ways. There was a lot of, um, there, it was very, you know, it was the year where the Afghan police were shooting up the Grenadier Guards and stuff like that. It was it was messy. Um, and there were lots of, of IEDs and IED belts and different things throughout um, Masakala, where, where it was based. Um, fast forwarding to the day I got injured, it was just a, that day, like like any other day, uh, we got up, we conducted our, our um, SOPs or whatever the case might be, and did what we had to do and prepared to go out to support the uh, Royal Anglian patrol we were attached to. Yeah. Um, we were attached to, and um, went out on patrol. Um, one of those, one of the guys who were, were attached to the Afghan police, he got injured. And we had to try and get him out before um, the Taliban advanced towards him. And um, I was then tasked, or my vehicle was then tasked to go on the ground and take fire while the helicopter came in and, and stuff. And we didn't get to the top of the hill, basically. I hit an ID and um, lost both 
uh, well, not both. I lost my left leg straight away, and yeah. then my right leg was badly broken. Um, my jaw, my face was was mangled and stuff. I had to get reconstructive surgery for that. Uh, punctured lung. Um, my hand was mangled as well, so I had to redo that. Um, it was a fair little injuries, but but um, I was back in UK within 24 hours. My family was flown out from from the Caribbean to stay with me here, um, and you know, then pretty much I woke up a couple of weeks later. I don't actually know what happened. Everything that I told you just now is what was relayed to me by a book or a flyer of people telling me. So, um, but yeah, that, that's, that's the main aspect of, of how I got injured. And then you move on to rehab, the rehab phase. So I don't know how much you know about, about rehab phase. Um, well, me particularly, obviously, I know I've had a court, but if you can explain, well, it's probably when we say rehab for an amputee and what you guys have to go through at military rehab, can you kind of explain to the listeners what the difference is between the two? Because I think I've been described to it and I'm thinking, oh, that's like extreme PT from a certain extent. And, and you're, you guys, it's not you will do it. Uh, you. You, I want you to do this today. You must do it today. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, it's pretty rigid. Um, basically, so you, my rehab started from in the hospital, I should say. Um, you know, basically they're 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 like they're trying to keep you in a, in that um, military mindset. So you you get up on mornings, you have a shave, you have a shower, even though you're injured and battered in the hospital. You know, I, I had facial injuries, bad facial injuries, and they were like saying, you have to shave. You know, and you're like, it's not really going to happen, is it? Um, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, you, you learn to deal with it. You learn to cope, cope basically with what has happened. And the way that they, that they try and, I thought the way that they try to help us with that is to keep us focused on other things. Um, there was a time to deal with the mental aspect of it, but at that time, they want you to kind of be focused on getting yourself back together um, physically. And once the physical side is is done, then they gently begin to, to broach the, the emotional side of it. So I spent a couple of days kind of licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself. And, then you know you get your welfare officer slash family slash you know everyone coming in and going right yeah you know you need to get up and get going again you, you can't allow this thing to sort of um to, to keep you back or you know this is your normal you have to embrace it you have to you know that kind of spiel um and no they, they don't allow you to kind of sit down and rest on your lawn and feel sorry for yourself and go, woe is me, life has ended. Um, and it benefited me in that way. Um, like probably two, three days after I got out of, of ICU, I was doing physio 
So I started physio, I started doing push-ups again, I started doing, you know, all, all kinds of little things, you know, little balance work and, you know, lifting stuff, gently lifting stuff. And, you know, it was, it was kind of, it was good because it gave you something to focus on. And then you came, they came to me in the hospital as well and went, okay, well, we have your legs ready. You know, we just need to get you some tuckers now. Um, and the, probably like the day after I got to Headley Court, I got my first pair of legs. So that was all within a five week period or three to five week period. So there was no time to sort of go, you know, like can't do this kind of thing. Uh, at Headley Court, my routine on morning was get up, get washed, shave, you get to breakfast. Um, have your breakfast then first morning first thing every morning is PT PT consisted of body pump um, you know aerobics like obviously adapted aerobics or whatever you have uh, any any adaptive exercise you can think of <laughs> everybody is doing it at 8 o'clock in the morning so um, between 8 and 8.30 and then you do that for an hour and then you have you've got sessions of walking physio you got um, the CPM which is like the psychiatrist they, they try and see how you are coping so it's rounded you have to you, you get a, you get the chance to you don't you don't only fix yourself they're not only focused on you fixing yourself um, physically, but mentally as well. Um, I never really cope with people asking me questions like that. I, I was not, not very good. I failed a couple of PTSD tests, but I genuinely don't think I have PTSD. Um, I've never sort of woke up choking anyone, so. <laughs> um, you learn how to drive again. So my, one of my goals, they set goals for you. So my goal was to teach my daughter how to ride again, to drive a stick shift again, you know, my Mustang. Um, and, you know, like, one of the first questions we were asked is, you know, like, so what do you want to get involved in? Where do you see your life going? And I said to them, well, I want, I want to play sports. I am interested in sports. And, um, Martin Kokov, who's the um, director of um, Healthy Hero Sports Recovery, he basically came and said, look, there are many things you could do. There are many ways to, to, to get involved in sport. We have a number of different sports you can train and adventurous training activities. So I said, okay, well, tell me what you got. He said, well, what, what have you played? I said, I played cricket, I played um, volleyball. I went, oh, okay, cool. Um, volleyball. Let's try volleyball then. And um, one Sunday morning, Derek Derelangi. I don't, I don't know if you remember Derek. Yeah, I remember Derek. And he rocked up at my house and goes, yeah, Corey, let's go to volleyball. And I was like, okay. Well. So he put me in, in, in his car and he drove me all the way up to Kettering where I played my first city volleyball game. And then we had the limb power games where I tried volleyball, I tried running, I tried javelin, I tried throwing stuff. Um, 
you know, you get to go around and try different sports. And um, Ashley Trodden, uh, who was the assistant coach for the GD men at the time, um, and Matt Rogers. Uh, he was the, I guess, the liaison or whatever for, for the boy England for the GB volleyball, and he he um, scouted myself and your buddy Naturana, and we came to a trial at Bath, and and then got asked to come to continue training with the with the men. Um, that's how I got involved in volleyball. The rest. Golf, the athletics, the like hockey, and all these different things are things that I picked up along the way. Um, volleyball, I didn't make the 2012 games, as you know, um, because I felt like I wasn't mentally in a place where I could handle that at that time. Um, being that I was pre, I was I went pre-deployment. I went from pre-deployment into deployment, and then straight into injury. And it was just a long time away from that, along with there were some very strong personalities in in volleyball. I didn't feel like I could handle at the time. Um, and yeah, I needed to get past that and just start to enjoy volleyball again, which I started playing after you guys came back from, from 2012. So in 2013, Martin again came to me and said, I got a sport that I want you to try. So I said, well, what is it? He said, well, it's bobsleigh. I was just like, dude, no, no chance. Um, and he was like, you know what? I actually think you'd be pretty good at it. So, no, that was in 2012, sorry. Like, end of 2012. Um, I said, nah, I, I, I'll give that a miss. And then, couple of months later he approached me again and I thought okay I'll give it a go so I went to Calgary uh, for the first time in 2013 January and gave Bobsleigh a go and basically after trying it for the first eight to ten runs or so the coaches were like you're you're kind of grasping what we're, we're trying to teach you and it's coming to you naturally we're not having to tell you too much so we believe that that you could go on and be, be pretty good at it if, if it's what you want um so the day after that i have a major crash and, and then <laughs> you know, uh, with a concussion and some other bits and pieces and yeah i was ready to go for bobsleigh so Went to Eagles um, in Austria, continued, um, and won the first, the inaugural race, the very first power race. Um, came second in the World Cup that year, second in the World Cup the following year, and I came fifth this year. So I'm actually not ranked number two in the world, I'm ranked number five, unfortunately. So that's where I am now. We're, we're scheduled to... I'm flying out for the Invictus Games next week, Thursday. Um, and from there, I go straight to Calgary and start training and back on the World Cup circuit again. So 
fantastic life. What can you say? Well, you could say that's that's probably one of the aspects of the athlete lifestyle I miss is the, probably the traveling aspect. But Corey, do talk to me through that mindset of why did you go from going, I, I don't want to touch this with a barge pole, to say, oh, what have I got to lose? What what was kind of the initial, what would be the word I want? Um, doubts that you had. Okay, I, I don't, I, I don't. There was, do you think it was ap- apprehension towards it? Towards uh, Bobsley? Yeah. I just thought I was injured enough already. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you just sit down and you have a look at Bobsley and you, you just, you know, you can't help yourself, but, but go on YouTube and look at, look at, look at what it's like and it excites you. And then there's a link that says Bobsley crashes and you just happen to click on it and you go, oh, okay, this is interesting. Uh, nah. I don't want to do that. So I had a I had a look at it and, and then I thought it's not that bad. So I just thought I'm gonna give it a go and see how it goes, you know? It can't be worse than getting shot at or being blown up. So I just thought I'm gonna give it a go and see where it see where it goes from there. And obviously with it being a Paralympic sport, what are some of the differences per se um, in kind of the adaptations to the actual sled compared to the able-bodied side? Well, power-bobsled in itself is um, very, very different to to normal able-bodied bobsled. For me, I can, uh, I can push my sled um, on prosthesis, but in a race, race format, basically we compete in a monobob. A monobob you have adapt two, uh, two types of adaptive monobobs at the moment. You have a, a Latvian sled and a Swiss sled. And these have the brakes in the front um, by the D-rings. Um, the D-rings are the mechanisms which you control the sled by. Um, and it's just you and the sled. You do all the driving, all the braking and everything else on your own. Um, and you are launched by a mechanism that has been developed over the years. Um, we call it the cripple launcher, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, it, it, you know, like, and that is sort of meant to give you a, a similar start to what you would get from uh, four able-bodied athletes pushing a, a four-man sled or a two to pushing a two man sled, so you can get anything from ranging from a six push to a four, um, a four being rapid, six being slightly easier. So uh, naturally, we we want fives, fours, and fives. Um, easier, the easier, the faster you get launched, the easier it is to deal with the corners. You don't slide off and start doing weird stuff. But then, that, does that not bring? A kind of a mindset altogether with in terms of dealing with the the initial speeds obviously if coming from a completely alien sport be it volleyball to that what was kind of the hurdles that you had to overcome first of all was it speed or just more the technical elements of the sport um it is a very technical sport. It's one of those things. It's one of those sports where 
you have to spend a considerable time learning things um like as in any, everything in life but you have to spend the attention to these to, to detail is very important because you have to learn you see people you said like in the cool runnings video i i, I haven't seen it yet but um you know i've seen snippets of it where people are sitting in a tub and learning corners and stuff like that that's not entirely how it goes but um you have to spend a lot of time a mental application learning a track and you can learn the track it could be you know anything from 15 to, to, to 19 20 corners and you have to know which way each of them goes because you can get lost in the track um because you're going out quickly and when you like do a track walk with your coaches um you walk down the track and you learn how not just not just which way the, the track goes but how to steer through that part because you're dealing with pressures and g-forces um, and it's very very hard on your body as well um, a lot of the time you are spending um say I'm, I'm gonna do my runs at five in the evening i'm spending that entire day thinking about just going doing my runs of the track and all of this for four or five four or five minutes of time on the track so it's it's mentally taxing it's, it's very very mental sport very cerebral should have maybe come from the Air Force then with having to deal with the G forces. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 very interesting. It's one of those things where, you know, like you're going through a corner. If you see it, it's gone. If you see something while you're in the track going down, it's gone. There's nothing you can do about it if you identify it. So you have to be thinking the corner like corner ahead all the time. So it's one of those things where you have you got definitely got to do your homework. You can only imagine. And if we kind of go back to your initial, well, you could say high-level sport, and obviously you've been lucky enough to, uh, I won't quote myself on this, you've competed at two Invictus Games, is that correct? Yeah. What, what, what was, say, London like, in your opinion, compared to, say, the second one in Orlando? This is a very good question. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, London was. Firstly, is that that's like unlike anything that you've ever experienced. Um, it's like unlike anything you've experienced. It's like you have. I don't know how to explain it. To be honest, James, it's one of those. Um, do, do, would you say it's very much? It's a question I don't like being asked as well. Do you think it's because you're in that bubble and that one moment you can't put it into words sometimes? Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a very it's unique because this because obviously having having gone to London. With the Paralympic Inspiration Program, I got, I still got to, to like go behind the scenes with you guys and do things and see how you warmed up and see how you prepared and and everything and was still in the the Olympic Village and and all that and 
it was it was good, but the Invictus Games is totally different. It's it's in a lot of ways better than the Olympics, better than the Paralympics for me because well, it means more to us anyway in that regard because um, I feel like you've got Estonians, Germans, um, Jordanians, Afghans, you know, like so many different, um, um, so many different, so many different um, countries, countries, they're, they're like, they're, they're like on the same, on the same journey, as journey as you, but they've all been but injured. All been injured. Uh, you're all on the same journey. You're all either injured in combat. You have been injured in in RTA. Some people have really bad PTSD. Some people have um, been have PTSD from basic training. Believe it or not, some people have. You know, they're they're like there's a minefield of injuries, um, and you just we're all on the same journey. Um, and it's like we're all on these train tracks and we're all heading in the direction. And we all converge on something. And everybody has their own story to share. And for us as, as, as wounded services, we can um, share our stories and, and pull people out of the dark place. Um, you know, you've got people that will go there and they haven't left their house in two years. They're they're that petrified of of dealing public on a daily basis, and you know their PT is that severe. Um, and a lot of people look at and go, "He's lost his," um, you know, kind of thing. And the reality of it is that those are the injuries that you, um, but. You know the hidden wounds are 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 just as important. Though they're the ones that you can't see how a man is suffering. You can't see how how a person lives. You know, those is his door. Um, and what what he suffers with, what he through as a person. So, um, you've got all of these different all these different stories come from this one place, and everybody is loving being there, cheering on independent stories sharing their journeys and learning from each other and you know the end result is that you have a bunch of people who will come away from that situation um having shared something and had somebody else's life um i think that 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 in itself um you go there and as as military people you are naturally robust and you want to but it isn't necessarily all about winning. It's about, um, you know, we're going there as different countries, but we're all one team. Would you say it exemplifies your this quote that I've read, read in the newspaper article? Um, you are a hero based on your fiercely as being fiercely competitive, but. You're a man who judges success not in medals, but rather in being an example to others. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the reality of it is that there are so many people out there that are caught up in the fact that they're just 
that they can't they can't function stop functioning in life they stop they stop believing in themselves they stop believing that they have any work or or, or have any any purpose in life or that they can achieve greatness and you know and told and they need to see I, I like I would like that people will look at me and say, you know what, that that guy's going through some stuff, and he's come through it, and he's still he's still living. He still believes that there's stuff out there for him to do, stuff out there for him to achieve. You know, like, and and it goes back to Henry Ford. You 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 believe, okay, I want I want to teach my daughter how to ride a bike. I want I want to get out there and I want to walk up a hill, the top of a hill, and see. If you with with everyone else in the family, or I, I want to um, ride a bike again, you know, I, well, they're they're just little things. You no, know, these are just little things, but you know, these little things help you to grow. And the more you achieve, the more you feel that you that you can go on and do. Uh, and for me personally, to be competing at level in any sport for me is a massive achievement because I thought you know to myself well, you know my life, what, what am I worth to anyone you know I've lost a job I've lost what I've come here to do where is my life going all of a sudden I'm playing volleyball and doing track and field and playing golf where I never played you know I love it um, it's mostly a way to get but you know it's one of those things where you you can get out there and still enjoy life you can still get out there and enjoy the things that made you happy before if you're an outdoors person get out in the outdoors and enjoy uh, like the, the other fantastic um, from a military point is like there are kids out there that you know, and these kids are born with disabilities or whatever. And they're looking for examples. They're looking for role models. And you can get out there and you can have an impact on a child's life. Um, and the other aspect of it is a lot of the time, the average taxpayer will, will see any newspaper or oh, they're contributing X, Y, Z to wounded servicemen. And often, being honest, if people are honest with themselves, they'll go, you know what? I, I want to. I, I, I'm paying for this thing, and I don't. I don't know where it's going. Um, and the reality of it, you can look at people like myself and the other ninety going to the Invictus Games and go, "That is where my money is." You know, you can see. You know, you have people there. When they first came in, they were in wheelchairs, in beds, unable to feed themselves, unable to eat solid food. Um, you know, people who were in induced comas for a lengthy period of time and all of these different things. And you see these people now running, jumping, riding, uh, rowing, all these different fantastic That is where their money has gone. And people can see, oh, oh my God, you know what? I helped with that. I contributed. You know, that is where where their money has gone. You know, and then they look and say, well, you know what? These guys are still contributing to the economy, to, to everyday life. Um, you know, you've got people like, look at Dave Henson. I don't know if you remember. Mm, I remember Dave, yeah. Dave, Dave was an officer in 
the um, the engineers, and he's gone on now to get a bronze medal in the Paralympics, a bronze medal, two bronze medals in the world. You know, and Dave has just messing around with it a couple of years ago. So, you know, it's it's down to you believing in yourself, wanting to contribute more. Um, not just to your own life, but to your, your family's life, the wider public's lives. So, yeah, you know, I believe that I have a lot of life to offer to offer anyone that crosses me. Um, and I want to inspire and motivate people um, as long as I have breath in, in my body. And Corey, you mentioned a little bit there about self-worth. Do you think, and if we use you as an example, do you think you were single-minded in, obviously from a military perspective, this is what I'm going to do for, I don't know, say 30, 40 year career. And that's what I'm going to basis my, you could say identity on. And then once that was taken away, do you think you didn't, you didn't know where you fitted in within society, so to speak? Um, I wouldn't say I didn't know where it fitted because you're still, you're always a part of a kind of a brotherhood in, in the army, um, in the military, so to speak. And people don't necessarily forget it. So I never like thought I wasn't, I didn't belong, so to speak. I felt like I had to find out what my new, I had to embrace the things that I felt, I had to embrace my new normal. Um, and that, that is probably the most important thing you could do as a person. Because I, I, I personally think that the most difficult part of this journey is accepting that you are not who you were before. Um, accept that, that, that it's not that you are disabled, but you're differently able. Does that make sense? To me, it does, yeah. Very much so. Differently able, you're not... It, 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 you know, what happened, what's happened, doesn't mean anything at all, people. You can do everything you did before, but different. Uh, more measured, whether it's slightly adapted, but it can still be done. Um, I have a very close friend who just in a wheelchair. You know, anything you put your mind to in this life can be done. And that is, that is as simple as it is. If, if you as a person don't decide to get up and get for yourself or get up and do, that's your, that's you, that's a personal choice. But, you know, if you want to do something, if you want, can be done. There's always a way to achieve it. There's always a way to do it. And from, from that regard, Corey, do you, do you think when people don't want to set targets, goals for themselves, do you think they're, they're just creating a ceiling and just like, what would it be, to a certain extent, unnecessary barriers? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like a barrier. I would say it's, it's, it comes down to people's personal self-worth. I would say it comes down to a guy or a girl knowing 
um, their worth as a person. If you believe in yourself, if you believe um, I'm an ambitious I'm a very ambitious Me, sitting on my butt all day doing nothing is never going to be my way of going, going about this. And I think in spite of whatever injury you have to maintain it, if you are not an ambitious person, if you don't have any life goals and you feel like you want to achieve them, then you are inevitably existing, not but not living. And I believe a large part of of my life is spent living and not existing. There's a massive difference between living and existence. You know, a lot of people just idle through the day. You know, they go to work, they hate their jobs. You know, they, they're not achieving by doing the job that they do. You know, they're just living paycheck to paycheck, whatever. You know, they don't feel anything awesome happening in their lives. For me, I get up and if I want, I mean, I'm in a particular privileged situation in that regard but if I get out tomorrow I want to play golf I'll go and play golf you know if I if I get out tomorrow like I want to go on and I'm going to go up anytime you know what I mean so it's one of those things where you have to set yourself up you know like my goal is to reach the practice in boxing and get a gold medal for, for GB um, how am I going to do that again in the gym every day working as hard as I can um, sometimes twice a day um, by maintaining a positive mindset by knowing myself knowing my, my self-worth knowing what I can and can't um, by right diet by treating myself by being good to myself as a person by being around positive people because that is a large part of it. To, to achieve anything, um, I think your circle is very important. The people around you have a massive um, effect on what you feel you can achieve. And I, I would have privilege in that regard to have people, like even like yourself, because I, I can look at you and always doing something positive. And I, I, love, I love to see that. I, don't, I love to see people chasing their dreams and, and doing things that they feel, you know, passionate about. So, you know, when I see stuff like that, I, I have a reason of, uh, to go on, a reason to push on, to push forward to that next level. And I, I, I don't associate, I hate negative people who don't believe and anything we really have negative to say about life or to think. So, yeah. Well, it's, it comes back to probably critical thinking in a way because if you only have that, what would be that uh, perception of everything is always going wrong for me, and having that me- me- uh, negative mindset, you're always going to have that one-track mind. Whereas if you can. Maybe look on it on the on the flip side and look on the other side of the coin. 
okay, you might be having a bad day, but you need to look at it in this way. There's probably there's somebody in the world that's in a similar situation, if not worse. So that's probably looking at it more positively. But I think as you, as you talk about it, being more positive and being around those influential people uh, that are of the similar mindset, it does make you obviously aspire, believe that you can achieve in, in all essences, sometimes things that you think are impossible. Yeah, that is very true. You know, I've, I thought personally, if I, like when I was in hospital, the doctors told my family, do not treat him any different to how he was treated before he was injured. Make him get up and get his own food. Make him sort of put his legs on and go to the toilet. Don't let him crawl around on his knees trying to get to the toilet. You know, um, you know, just, just, um, just make him exist as he normally would as a man. Don't let him. Don't make him feel like he's any less of a man, less of a man than, than he was before. Um, you know. I've got to a stage now where, you know, I will, I, I absolutely function as I, as if I was normal, normal, that's, um, as if I was, or, or you know, I, I conduct my life as if nothing happened. You know, it's only like earlier this year I had surgery and I was there for like 15 weeks. Right, I was like, I hate this. This is really shit. You know, like at that point, I just thought, yeah, I feel disabled at this point in time. But you know, at that point, although that was happening, my family was still trying to like make me get up and do stuff. Like they won't let me stay in bed for longer than two days. You know, um, they won't let me get on the feet for longer than a couple of hours. You know what I mean? Because these are the things that mentally that make you mentally disabled, so to speak. You just, you just, just cut yourself off. You, you, you become dysfunctional as a person. But uh, I think, obviously, following your journey after I retired, and, and, and kind of when, when you went to Bob's, I'm thinking, what's going through his mind? <laughs> what is there something, and I, I kind of looked to myself, and, Ro, and Rob included, I'm thinking, what would possess you well, probably more so Rob because he's on a he's on a tea tray, so to speak, to go down. I don't know, was it fifty, sixty mile per hour uh, down down a shoot? Or I, I was trying to, and, and that's probably why I wanted to speak to you. Is well, what what possesses you to want to do that in the first place? Obviously, from when you've accepted the challenge. Um, challenge is the key word. There is a challenge. And from the from the moment that the coaches went, you know what you're I thought, okay, let's see where this goes. And then you know, I've had some setbacks, I've had a crash where dislocated my shoulder elbow and you know, and yeah, some bad stuff but you you just think to yourself, well, this is a challenge. I am not it, but I want to be great at it. Um, and the fact that the coach sees something in you, um, 
dark, dark place of fire in Sicily. And then you see, like I'm racing with paraplegia, you know, like with injuries and different things. And these guys are, are living, you know what I mean? These guys are, are these guys are jumping. These guys are, are, um, are, are like hiking like by hand to far reaches of the earth. Like these are not average guys. You know, these are guys that are going after life and living in all the passion that they and I can I can't be in that be around those people and just be idle or be like average, if that makes sense. So they encourage me, I encourage them, you know, like although we're competitors, it's but we're like a big family. It, there's no cattiness, there's no sort of petty behavior in case. All very competitive men and women because they race against women. But, um, you know, these guys are very passionate about what they do. They want to win. We all want to win. On race day, we're we not going to talk with each other. We're not going to whatever. But when the race is done, we go back and that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I love it. So would you say you've become an adrenaline junkie a little bit then? Uh, yes, I would say that. I would say that. Yeah. Um, I've done my fair share of jumping in Africa and planes, random places, <laughs> bridges. Uh, yeah. I've, I've become, a, I don't fear death anymore. Um, I suppose when you've come so close to, to the dying, you appreciate life a hell of a lot more. Um, and you you have a verve and a, a desire to live and live passionately. You don't want to live. You, I don't want to be average anymore. I want, I want to be. So for me, everything be the best at it. I want to. I want to give it a hundred percent. I want, you know, I want my coaches to see a person coachable and a person that will inspire them to come back and walk me again. I want. I want my teammates, you know, to understand. Yes, this is hard, but I'm not giving up. You know, I want them to understand that I'm out there coaching because I'm coaching. Um, training because I want to be better every single day of my life. I want my daughters to look at me and say, you know what, he's had a hell of a bump, but he hasn't given up. I'm never in my life. You know, I want my nephews, my, all of these are people who look at me and think, you know, I, I want, I, not I want to be like him, but he's a good example of what can be achieved in life or what can be mentally if you put your mind to something so you know i could have stayed in board could have been a police for 33 years i had a semi-decent pension and you know that i would have lived i would have existed through my life but i wouldn't live and that's the fantastic thing about i what i think I've achieved in my life. Change the goals with every bit of passion I have in me as a man. And um, I, I feel like 
have achieved probably 85% of what I want to achieve. So the rest of my life now is, is built on, on passion, on sport, my sport and passion, enjoying my life and seeing my daughters to where they're supposed to be. That is what is important to me. And in terms of like the, the sport inside of it, Corey, kind of where do you see yourself? Well, obviously, you, you know, and both I know, your career can't last forever. But where do you maybe see yourself, we'll say, we'll say push out a stretch, say the fi- next five to ten years, if you see your career going that far? Um, where do I see myself? I see myself by 2022. June, having won a gold medal for GB and in college learning how to become a good coach. Um, probably at the present moment I'm, I'm trying to coach. I'm sorry for the noise. The girls are upstairs playing and what go for something. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I want I want my my ne- the next phase of my life goes on go, goes into uh, my legacy um, as a sport. So that's a word that was thrown, thrown around a lot in twenty twelve. Uh, I don't think. Yeah, let's not go there. But the point is, <laughs> I'd probably agree with that that sentiment. It's I know where you're probably going to go with that. Um, but I want to get back to grassroots sports and I want to bring through the next generation of athletes. If I want the next generation of volleyball, I want to encourage the next generation of volleyball. I want to encourage the next generation of bobsleigh. Um, Cause I am pretty old now. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to have an impact on sport in the UK going forward. and probably in the Caribbean as well. Um, I'm in the process of setting up, a foundation in Barbados called um, Barbados Association for Disability Sport. And this is basically for um, getting the, the level of support that we get here is, is nowhere near what guys in the Caribbean can expect to achieve or to get. So for me, um, what I would like to do is to start um, a non-profit where I can support people who want to achieve going to the World Championships or World Cup or whatever the case may be. I want to provide services as far as coaching. I want to provide services as far as um, you know I, I want people to get out of their houses. I want to drive um people with disabilities by their ears all the get them involved and get them feeling appreciated. Um, a, a large part of getting um, the government of to sort of um, change the sidewalks in town in the main in Bristol because the sidewalks are pretty high, pretty difficult to traverse by wheelchair. Um, so all of these are things I'm trying to address and you know, I've been contacted by people in different parts of the Caribbean to become involved with you know, so by extension I want to have an impact in the Eastern Caribbean. 
So, um, yeah. So I, I, I feel like I have like so much to do in life. So I don't have time for sorry for my feel like I um have I, I don't have to do or whatever the case may be. So. And my last question for uh, for you, Cora, before we wrap up the, the the show, if you had to summarize this episode into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Uh, you ask some difficult questions. Um, to summarize, my, what my life? Whatever, whatever comes to mind for you. Uh, Don't exist, live. That's it. Don't don't exist. If you if you are just exist, you're living life without purpose, without passion, without any any uh, any real meaning. So get out there and experience all that life has to offer. All the fantastic things because. Nobody has tomorrow pending. Nobody has tomorrow guaranteed. And the least you could do while you're on this earth is to live. Just live, live with passion. Love with passion. You know, like, just get out there and, and I can't, I can't, I can't be any more explicit than that. Just get out there and absolutely live with every every bit of passion you have in you as a person, and um, just try to try to impact somebody's life in a positive way. I love that comment, Corey. So once again, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thanks very much for having me. It's my pleasure. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.